Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. This is your host, John Hagedorn. Today, part one of a very interesting story by Henry Van Dyke called The Story of the Other Wise Man. Who seeks for heaven alone to save his soul, may keep the path, but will not reach the goal. While he who walks in love may wander far, yet God will bring him where the blessed are. You know the story of the three wise men of the East, and how they traveled from far away to offer their gifts at the manger cradle in Bethlehem. But have you ever heard the story of the other wise man, who also saw the star in its rising, and set out to follow it, yet did not arrive with his brethren in the presence of the young child Jesus? Of the great desire of this fourth pilgrim, and how it was denied, yet accomplished in the denial, of his many wanderings and the probations of his soul, of the long way of his seeking, and the strange way of his finding, the one whom he sought. I would tell the tale as I have heard fragments of it in the Hall of Dreams, in the Palace of the Heart of Man. Part 1. The Sign in the Sky In the days when Augustus Caesar was master of many kings, and Herod reigned in Jerusalem, there lived in the city of Ecbatana, among the mountains of Persia, a certain man named Artaban, the Median, his house stood close to the outermost of the seven walls which encircled the royal treasury. From his roof he could look over the rising battlements of black and white, and crimson and blue and red and silver and gold, to the hill where the summer palace of the Parthian emperors glittered like a jewel in a sevenfold crown. Around the dwelling of Artaban spread a fair garden, a tangle of flowers and fruit trees, watered by a score of streams descending from the slopes of Mount Orontes, and made musical by innumerable birds. But all color was lost in the soft and odorous darkness of the late September night, and all sounds were hushed in the deep charm of its silence, save the plashing of the water, like a voice half sobbing and half laughing under the shadows. High above the trees a dim glow of light shone through the curtained arches of the upper chamber, where the master of the house was holding counsel with his friends. He stood by the doorway to greet his guests, a tall, dark man of about forty years, with brilliant eyes set near together under his broad brow, and firm lines graven around his fine, thin lips, the brow of a dreamer and the mouth of a soldier, a man of sensitive feeling but inflexible will one of those who, in whatever age they may live, are born for inward conflict and a life of quest. His robe was of pure white wool, thrown over a tunic of silk, and a white pointed cap, with long lapels at the sides, rested on his flowing black hair. It was the dress of the ancient priesthood of the Magi, called the fire-worshippers. "'Welcome,' he said, in his low, pleasant voice, as one after another entered the room. "'Welcome, Abdus! Peace be with you, Rhodaspes and Tigranes, and with you, my father, Abgurus. You are all welcome, and this house grows bright with the joy of your presence.' There were nine of the men, differing widely in age, but alike in the richness of their dress of many-colored silks, and in the massive golden collars around their necks, marking them as Parthian nobles, and in the winged circles of gold resting upon their breasts, the sign of the followers of Zoroaster. They took their places around a small black altar at the end of the room, where a tiny flame was burning. Artaban, standing beside it, 
"'and waving a barsom of thin tamarisk branches above the fire, "'fed it with dry sticks of pine and fragrant oils. "'Then he began the ancient chant of the Yasna, "'and the voices of his companions joined in the beautiful hymn to Ahura Mazda. "'We worship the spirit divine, all wisdom and goodness possessing, "'surrounded by holy immortals, the givers of bounty and blessing. "'We joy in the works of his hands, his truth and his power confessing.' We praise all the things that are pure, for these are his only creation. The thoughts that are true, and the words and deeds that have won approbation, these are supported by him, and for these we make adoration. Hear us, O Mazda, thou livest in truth and in heavenly gladness. Cleanse us from falsehood, and keep us from evil and bondage to badness. Pour out the light and the joy of thy life in our darkness and sadness. Shine on our gardens and fields. Shine on our working and weaving. Shine on the whole race of man, believing and unbelieving. Shine on us now through the night. Shine on us now in thy might. The flame of our holy love and the song of our worship receiving. The fire arose with the chant, throbbing as if it were made of musical flame, until it cast a bright illumination through the whole apartment, revealing its simplicity and splendor. The floor was laid with tiles of dark blue veined with white. Pilasters of twisted silver stood out against the blue walls. The clear story of round-arched windows above them was hung with azure silk. The vaulted ceiling was a pavement of sapphires, like the body of heaven in its clearness, sewn with silver stars. From the four corners of the roof hung four golden magic wheels, called the tongues of the gods. At the eastern end, behind the altar, there were two dark red pillars of porphyry, above them a lintel of same stone, on which was carved the figure of a winged archer, with his arrow set to the string and his bow drawn. The doorway between the pillars, which opened upon the terrace of the roof, was covered with a heavy curtain of the color of a ripe pomegranate, embroidered with innumerable golden rays shooting upward from the floor. In effect, the room was like a quiet, starry night, all azure and silver, flushed in the east with rosy promise of the dawn. It was, as the house of a man should be, an expression of the character and spirit of the master. He turned to his friends when the song was ended, and invited them to be seated on the divan at the western end of the room. "'You have come to-night,' said he, looking around the circle, "'at my call, as the faithful scholars of Zoroaster.' to renew your worship and rekindle your faith in the God of purity, even as this fire has been rekindled on the altar. We worship not the fire, but him of whom it is the chosen symbol, because it is the purest of all created things. It speaks to us of one who is light and truth. Is it not so, my father? It is well said, my son, answered the venerable Abgarus. The enlightened are never idolaters. They lift the veil of the form and go into the shrine of the reality, and new light and truth are coming to them continually through the old symbols. Hear me then, my father and my friends, said Artaban, very quietly, while I tell you of the new light and truth that have come to me through the most ancient of all signs. We have searched the secrets of nature together, and studied the healing virtues of water and fire and the plants. We have read also the books of prophecy, in which the future is dimly foretold in words that are hard to understand. 
but the highest of all learning is the knowledge of the stars. To trace their courses is to untangle the threads of the mystery of life from the beginning to the end. If we could follow them perfectly, nothing would be hidden from us. But is not our knowledge of them still incomplete? Are there not many stars still beyond our horizon? Lights that are known only to the dwellers in the far Southland, among the spice trees of Pont and the gold mines of Ophir. There was a murmur of assent among the listeners. The stars, said Tigranus, are the thoughts of the eternal. They are numberless. But the thoughts of man can be counted, like the years of his life. The wisdom of the Magi is the greatest of all wisdoms on earth, because it knows its own ignorance. And that is the secret of power. We keep men always looking and waiting for a new sunrise. But we ourselves know that the darkness is equal to the light, and that the conflict between them will never be ended. That does not satisfy me, answered Artaban. For if the waiting must be endless, if there be no fulfillment of it, then it would not be wisdom to look and wait. We should become like these new teachers of the Greeks, who say that there is no truth, and that the only wise men are those who spend their lives in discovering and exposing the lies that have been believed in the world. But the new sunrise will certainly dawn in the appointed time. Do not our own books tell us that this will come to pass, and that men will see the brightness of a great light? That is true, said the voice of Abgurus. Every faithful disciple of Zoroaster knows the prophecy of the Avesta, and carries the word in his heart. In that day... Sosius the victorious shall arise out of the number of the prophets in the east country. Around him shall shine a mighty brightness, and he shall make life everlasting, incorruptible, and immortal, and the dead shall rise again. This is a dark saying, said Tigranus, and it may be that we shall never understand it. It is better to consider the things that are near at hand, and to increase the influence of the Magi in their own country rather than look for one who may be a stranger, and to whom we must resign our power. The others seemed to approve these words. There was a silent feeling of agreement manifest among them. Their looks responded with that indefinable expression which always follows when a speaker has uttered the thought that has been slumbering in the hearts of his listeners. But Artaban turned to Abgurus with a glow on his face, and said, "'My father,' I have kept this prophecy in the secret place of my soul. Religion without a great hope would be like an altar without a living fire. And now the flame has burned more brightly, and by the light of it I have read other words which also have come from the fountain of truth, and speak yet more clearly of the rising of the victorious one in his brightness. He drew from the breast of his tunic two small rolls of fine linen with writing upon them, and unfolded them carefully upon his knee. In the years that are lost in the past, long before our fathers came into the land of Babylon, there were wise men in Chaldea, from whom the first of the Magi learned the secret of the heavens. And of these, Balaam the son of Beor was one of the mightiest. Hear the words of his prophecy. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall arise out of Israel. The lips of Tigranus drew downward with contempt as he said, Judah was a captive by the waters of Babylon, and the sons of Jacob were in bondage to our kings. The tribes of Israel are scattered through the mountains like lost sheep, and from the remnant that dwells in Judea, under the yoke of Rome, neither star nor scepter shall ever arise.
"'And yet,' answered Ardaban, "'it was the Hebrew Daniel, "'the mighty searcher of dreams, "'the counselor of kings, "'the wise Belteshazzar, "'who was most honored and beloved "'of our great King Cyrus. "'A prophet of sure things "'and a reader of the thoughts of God, "'Daniel proved himself to our people. "'And these are the words that he wrote.' Artaban read from the second roll. Know therefore, and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore Jerusalem, unto the anointed one, the prince, the time shall be seven and threescore and two weeks. But, my son, said Abgarus, doubtfully, these are mystical numbers. Who can interpret them, or who can find the key that shall unlock their meaning? Artaban answered, it has been shown to me and my three companions among the Magi, Caspar, Melchior, and Balthazar. We have searched the ancient tablets of Chaldea and computed the time. It falls in this year. We have studied the sky, and in the spring of the year we saw two of the greatest stars draw near together in the sign of the fish, which is the house of the Hebrews. We also saw a new star there, which shone for one night and then vanished. Now again the two great planets are meeting. This night is their conjunction. My three brothers are watching at the ancient temple of the seven spheres at Borsippa in Babylonia, and I am watching here. If the star shines again, they will wait ten days for me at the temple, and then we will set out together for Jerusalem to see and worship the promised one who shall be born King of Israel. I believe the sign will come. I have made ready for the journey. I have sold my house and my possessions, and bought these three jewels, a sapphire, a ruby, and a pearl, to carry them as tribute to the king. And I ask you to go with me on the pilgrimage, that we may have joy together in finding the prince who is worthy to be served. We'll return with the story of the other wise man by Henry Van Dyke, right after these sponsor messages. And now, back to the story of the other wise men, by Henry Van Dyke, Part 1. While he was speaking, he thrust his hand into the inmost fold of his girdle and drew out three great gems. One blue as a fragment of the night sky, one redder than a ray of sunrise, and one as pure as the peak of a snow mountain at twilight, and laid them on the outspread linen scrolls before him. But his friends looked on with strange and alien eyes. A veil of doubt and mistrust came over their faces, like a fog creeping up from the marshes to hide the hills. They glanced at each other with looks of wonder and pity, as those who have listened to incredible sayings, the story of a wild vision, or the proposal of an impossible enterprise. At last, Tigranes said, Artaban, this is a vain dream. It comes from too much looking upon the stars and the cherishing of lofty thoughts. It would be wiser to spend the time in gathering money for the new fire temple at Chala. No king will ever rise from the broken race of Israel, and no end will ever come to the eternal strife of light and darkness. He who looks for it is a chaser of shadows. Farewell. And another said, Artaban, I have no knowledge of these things, and my office as guardian of the royal treasure binds me here. The quest is not for me. "'but if thou must follow it, I wish thee well.' "'And another said, "'In my house there sleeps a new bride, "'and I cannot leave her, 
"'nor take her with me on this strange journey. "'This quest is not for me, "'but may thy steps be prospered wherever thou goest. "'So, farewell.' "'And another said, "'I am ill and unfit for hardship, "'but there is a man among my servants "'whom I will send with thee when thou goest, "'to bring me word how thou farest.' But Abgarus, the oldest, and the one who loved Artaban the best, lingered after the others had gone, and said gravely, My son, it may be that the light of truth is in this sign that has appeared in the skies, and then it will surely lead to the prince and the mighty brightness. Or it may be that it is only a shadow of the light, as Tigranes has said, and then he who follows it will have only a long pilgrimage and an empty search. "'but it is better to follow even the shadow of the best "'than to remain content with the worst. "'And those who would see wonderful things "'must often be ready to travel alone. "'I am too old for this journey, "'but my heart shall be a companion "'of the pilgrimage day and night, "'and I shall know the end of thy quest. "'Go in peace.' "'So one by one they went out of the azure chamber "'with its silver stars, "'and Artaban was left in solitude.' He gathered up the jewels and replaced them in his girdle. For a long time he stood and watched the flame that flickered and sank upon the altar. Then he crossed the hall, lifted the heavy curtain, and passed out between the dull red pillars of porphyry to the terrace on the roof. The shiver that thrills through the earth ere she rouses from her night's sleep had already begun, and the cool wind that heralds the daybreak was drawing downward from the lofty snow-traced ravines of Mount Orantes. Birds, half-awakened, crept and chirped among the rustling leaves, and the smell of ripened grapes came in brief wafts from the arbors. Far over the eastern plain a white mist stretched like a lake. But where the distant peak of Zagros serrated the western horizon, the sky was clear. Jupiter and Saturn rolled together like drops of lambent flame about to blend in one. As Artaban watched them, behold, an azure spark was borne out of the darkness beneath, rounding itself with purple splendors to a crimson sphere, and spiring upward through rays of saffron and orange into a point of white radiance. Tiny and infinitely remote, yet perfect in every part, it pulsated in the enormous vault, as if the three jewels in the Magian's breast had mingled and been transformed into a living heart of light. He bowed his head, he covered his brow with his hands, "'It is the sign,' he said. "'The king is coming, and I must go to meet him. "'And now by the waters of Babylon. "'All night long Vazda, the swiftest of Artaban's horses, "'had been waiting, saddled and bridled, in her stall, "'pawing the ground impatiently, "'and shaking her bit as if she shared the eagerness of her master's purpose, "'though she knew not its meaning. "'Before the birds had fully roused to their strong, high, "'joyful chant of morning song. "'Before the white mist had begun to lift lazily from the plain, "'the other wise man was in the saddle, "'riding swiftly along the high road "'which skirted the base of Mount Orantes, "'riding westward. "'How close, how intimate is the comradeship "'between a man and his favorite horse on a long journey. "'It is a silent, comprehensive friendship, "'an intercourse beyond the need of words. "'They drank at the same wayside springs.' "'and slept under the same guardian stars. "'They are conscious together of the subduing spell of nightfall "'and the quickening joy of daybreak. "'The master shares his evening meal with his hungry companion, 
and feels the soft, moist lips caressing the palm of his hand as they close over the morsel of bread. In the gray dawn, he is roused from his bivouac by the gentle stir of a warm, sweet breath over his sleeping face, and looks up into the eyes of his faithful fellow-traveler, ready and waiting for the toil of the day. Surely, unless he is a pagan and an unbeliever, by whatever name he calls upon his God, he will thank him for this voiceless sympathy, this dumb affection, and his morning prayer will embrace a double blessing. God bless us both, and keep our feet from falling, and our souls from death. And then, through the keen morning air, the swift hoofs beat their spirited music along the road, keeping time to the pulsing of two hearts that have moved with the same eager desire, to conquer space, to devour the distance, and to attain the goal of the journey. Artaban must indeed ride wisely and well if he would keep the appointed hour with the other magi, for the route was a hundred and fifty parasangs, and fifteen was the utmost that he could travel in a day. But he knew Vazda's strength, and pushed forward without anxiety, making the fixed distance every day, though he must travel late into the night, and in the morning, long before sunrise. He passed along the brown slopes of Mount Orantes, furrowed by the rocky courses of a hundred torrents. He crossed the level plains in the Nisians, where the famous herds of horses, feeding in the wide pastures, tossed their heads at Vazda's approach, and galloped away with the thunder of many hoofs, and flocks of wild birds rose suddenly from the swampy meadows, wheeling in great circles with a shining flutter of innumerable wings and shrill cries of surprise. He traversed the fertile fields of Concobar, where the dust from the threshing floors filled the air with a golden mist, half-hiding the huge temple of Astarte with its four hundred pillars. At Bagistan, among the rich gardens watered by fountains from the rock, he looked up at the mountain thrusting its immense rugged brow out over the road, and saw the figure of King Darius trampling upon his fallen foes, and the proud list of his wars and conquests graven high upon the face of the eternal cliff. Over many a cold and desolate pass, crawling painfully across the wind-swept shoulders of the hills, down many a black mountain gorge, where the river roared and raced before him like a savage guide, across many a smiling vale, with terraces of yellow limestone full of vines and fruit trees, through the oak groves of Karin and the dark gates of Zagros, walled in by precipices, into the ancient city of Chala, where the people of Samaria had been kept in captivity long ago, and out again by the mighty portal, riven through the encircling hills, where he saw the image of the high priest of the Magi sculptured on the wall of a rock, with hand uplifted as if to bless the centuries of pilgrims, past the entrance of the narrow defile, filled from end to end with orchards of peaches and figs, through which the river Gindes foamed down to meet him, over the broad rice fields, where the autumnal vapors spread their deathly mists, following along the course of the river, under tremulous shadows of poplar and tamarind, among the lower hills, and out upon the flat plain, where the road ran straight as an arrow through the stubble fields and parched meadows, past the city of Sesaphon, where the Parthian emperors reigned, and the vast metropolis of Seleucia, which Alexander built, across the swirling floods of Tigris and the many channels of Euphrates, flowing yellow through the cornlands, Artaban pressed onward until he arrived at nightfall of the tenth day, beneath the shattered walls of the populous Babylon. Vazda was almost spent 
"'and he would gladly have turned into the city "'to find rest and refreshment for himself and for her. "'But he knew that it was three hours' journey yet "'to the Temple of the Seven Spheres, "'and he must reach the place by midnight "'if he would find his comrades waiting. "'So he did not halt, "'but rode steadily across the stubble fields. "'A grove of date palms made an island of gloom "'in the pale yellow sea. "'As she passed into the shadow, "'Bazda slackened her pace "'and began to pick her way more carefully.' Near the farther end of the darkness, an access of caution seemed to fall upon her. She scented some danger or difficulty. It was not in her heart to fly from it, only to be prepared for it, and to meet it wisely, as a good horse should do. The grove was close and silent as the tomb. Not a leaf rustled. Not a bird sang. She felt her steps before her delicately, carrying her head low, and sighing now and then with apprehension. At last she gave a quick breath of anxiety and dismay, and stood stock still, quivering in every muscle, before a dark object in the shadow of the last palm tree. Artaban dismounted. The dim starlight revealed the form of a man lying across the road. His humble dress and the outline of his haggard face showed that he was probably one of the poor Hebrew exiles who still dwelt in great numbers in the vicinity. His pallid skin, dry and yellow as parchment, "'bore the mark of the deadly fever "'which ravaged the marshlands in autumn. "'The chill of death was in his lean hand, "'and, as Artaban released it, "'the arm fell back inertly upon the motionless breast. "'He turned away with a thought of pity, "'consigning the body to that strange burial "'which the Magians deem most fitting, "'the funeral of the desert, "'from which the kites and vultures rise on dark wings, "'and the beasts of prey slink furtively away, "'leaving only a heap of white bones in the sand. "'But, as he turned, "'a long, faint, ghostly sigh came from the man's lips. "'The brown, bony fingers closed convulsively "'on the hem of the Magian's robe, and held him fast. "'Artaban's heart leaped to his throat, "'not with fear, but with a dumb resentment "'at the importunity of this blind delay. "'How could he stay here in the darkness "'to minister to a dying stranger?' What claim had this unknown fragment of human life upon his compassion or his service? If he lingered but for an hour, he could hardly reach Borsippa at the appointed time. His companions would think he had given up the journey. They would go without him. He would lose his quest. But if he went on now, the man would surely die. If he stayed, life might be restored." His spirit throbbed and fluttered with the urgency of the crisis. Should he risk the great reward of his divine faith for the sake of a single deed of human love? Should he turn aside, if only for a moment, from the following of the star, to give a cup of cold water to a poor, perishing Hebrew? God of truth and purity, he prayed, direct me in the holy path, the way of wisdom which thou only knowest. Then he turned back to the sick man. Loosening the grasp of his hand, he carried him to a little mound at the foot of the palm tree. He unbound the thick folds of the turban and opened the garment above the sunken breast. He brought water from one of the small canals nearby and moistened the sufferer's brow and mouth. He mingled a draught of one of those simple but potent remedies which he always carried in his girdle. For the Magians were physicians as well as astrologers and poured it slowly between the colorless lips. 
hour after hour he labored as only a skillful healer of disease can do. And at last the man's strength returned, and he sat up and looked about him. "'Who art thou?' he said, in the rude dialect of the country. "'And why hast thou sought me here to bring back my life?' "'I am Artaban the Magian of the city of Ecbatana, "'and I am going to Jerusalem in search of one who is to be born king of the Jews, "'a great prince and deliverer for all men. "'I dare not delay any longer upon my journey, "'for the caravan that has waited for me may depart without me. "'But see, here is all that I have left of bread and wine.' and here is a potion of healing herbs. When thy strength is restored, thou canst find the dwellings of the Hebrews among the houses of Babylon. The old Jew raised his trembling hands solemnly to heaven. Now may the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob bless and prosper the journey of the merciful, and bring him in peace to his desired haven. But stay, I have nothing to give thee in return, only this, that I can tell thee where the Messiah must be sought. For our prophets have said that he should be born not in Jerusalem, but in Bethlehem of Judah. May the Lord bring thee in safety to that place, because thou hast had pity upon the sick. It was already long past midnight. Artaban rode in haste, and Basda, restored by the brief rest, ran eagerly through the silent plain and swam the channels of the river. She put forth the remnant of her strength, and fled over the ground like a gazelle. But the first beam of the sun sent her shadow before her as she entered upon the final stadium of the journey, and the eyes of Artaban, anxiously scanning the great mound of Nimrod and the Temple of the Seven Spheres, could discern no trace of his friends. The many-colored terraces of black and orange and red and yellow and green and blue and white, shattered by the convulsions of nature and crumbling under the repeated blows of human violence, "'still glittered like a ruined rainbow in the morning light. "'Artaban rode swiftly around the hill. "'He dismounted and climbed to the highest terrace, "'looking out towards the west. "'The huge desolation of the marshes "'stretched away to the horizon and the border of the desert. "'Bittern stood by the stagnant pools, "'and jackals skulked through the low bushes. "'But there was no sign of the caravan of the wise men, "'far or near. "'At the edge of the terrace, he saw a little cairn of broken bricks, and under them a piece of parchment. He caught it up and read, We have waited past the midnight, and can delay no longer. We go to find the king. Follow us across the desert. Artaban sat down upon the ground, and covered his head in despair. How can I cross the desert, said he, with no food, and with a spent horse? I must return to Babylon, sell my sapphire, and by a train of camels, and provision for the journey. I may never overtake my friends. Only God the merciful knows whether I shall not lose the sight of the king, because I tarried to show mercy. Thanks for joining us for part one of the story of the other wise man by Henry Van Dyke. We'll return with part two in just a few more days at 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. If you're enjoying our story, please do leave us a review. We appreciate reviews very much, and the help new listeners decide to give us a try. This is your host and storyteller, John Hagedorn. This is 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. Stay safe, and we'll be back soon.